Well, I grew up Protestant, and I know that uh, some of you, like my wife Kathy, um, grew up um, as Catholics. About a third, maybe a quarter of Minnesotans grew up Catholic. So I know that um, in interacting probably with people in everyday life, you know that there are some differences. Although, let me just say up front that there are vast areas of agreement between Catholics and Protestants. In fact, that's why I've been privileged over the years through friends and others to have been inspired by many of my Catholic brothers and sisters in my faith. But we do also have our differences, and one of those differences is in the way in which we view Mary. Now, I'm not actually going to get into all of that today, but I will tell you up front that we probably couldn't in just a few minutes um, reconcile those differences anytime soon. Now, one consequence of that is that those of us who've grown up in the Protestant tradition have often downplayed the importance of Mary in the Christian tradition, and I think that's unfortunate. Out of a fear of giving Mary too much prominence, we've subjected her to cold neglect. That means, I would argue at least, that we ought to try to find some middle ground and reassess Mary's importance, particularly not just in the Christmas story, but beyond. Mary belongs to all Christians, Catholics and Protestants alike. All must call her blessed. And sure, we have our differences in the way we view her, but that should not blind us to the extraordinary gift that God has given each one of us in the life and example of Mary. Now, the problem is is that Mary, on one hand, has been mythologized, and on the other hand, trivialized. And in the process, we've forgotten that she was a living, breathing human being who had some very difficult decisions to make. And she made them in such a way that's given us, I believe, an example of faith that we can emulate. Now, one additional problem in all of this is that the Christmas story itself is so well-known. You know, three-year-olds can tell you the plot line. But in 2,000 years, it's a story that's been told and retold so many times that it's almost too familiar. It's depicted in paintings in some of the world's greatest museums, and it's also mass-produced in creches and lighted lawn figures. It's a story that's been so dramatized that, you know, you can see a network TV special. You can hear music in countless, uh, of countless carols played in malls and on radio stations. In fact, it's so familiar that I believe it keeps us from seeing the story for what it really is, a real-life story about real-life people. And because the way it's been so stylized and sentimentalized, we've often lost the grittiness of the historical story behind the story. Our purpose this Advent is to take an historical look at the Christmas story. And that means looking at some of the details that we often skip over, and others I think we've gotten wrong. So this week we're going to take a look at Mary, a character at the very center of this story. Now one of the challenges in telling Mary's story is that there's so much that we would like to know that we simply do not know. Was she tall? Was she short? Was she quiet or talkative? Was she extroverted or shy? Was she playful or serious? Was she outdoorsy or domestic? Was she musical, athletic, or autistic? And we can speculate about all of that, but the truth is we really just don't know. Luke tells her story in just a few hundred words. However, even then, he doesn't tell us everything we'd like to know about her. But he does give us some important insights into her experience and character, things that I think we can learn from her. Now, Mary's story isn't neat and tidy. There are problems. Some like to claim that Luke and the other biblical writers fabricated this whole story, the story of Jesus and the stories around his birth all the way to his death and resurrection. But I don't think those claims hold water. For one, the central character in this story is an unmarried pregnant teenager. And Luke told this story exactly as it is, even though parts of it raised the eyebrows of those who first heard the story. So what do we know about Mary? 
Well, the central core of her story is found in just under 250 words in Luke's biography of Jesus. I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. If you'd like to follow along, you can in the Pew Bible on page 1557. Page 1557, although the words of the text will also be on the screen. Again, Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 26. Luke writes, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's um, Mary's cousin, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered about what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the Holy One to be born to you will be called son, the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Now, we've just read of the facts, the facts that Luke gives us, um, but there are also some educated guesses that we can make about Mary and her life. And we're not told directly, but it's likely that Mary was quite young. Often in those days, uh, young women were engaged to be married as young as 13 or 14 years old. We can speculate that she was probably from a poor family. Nazareth was a very poor town, a place that was overlooked, in fact, ridiculed in culture in, uh, Jerusalem, or in, Ju in Judea. There's no mention made of her parents. In fact, tradition tells us that she was an orphan. We don't know that, but it's perhaps uh, true. And because few women in her day were educated, it's likely that she was illiterate. That doesn't mean that she wasn't bright. She just didn't have the opportunities that young women today have in our day. We're told that Mary, again, I mentioned, was from Nazareth. This is an insignificant town of just a few hundred people. Luke tells us also that she was engaged. Her fiancé was Joseph, someone we learn um, later in Mark and, Mark, uh, Mark and Matthew's biographies of Jesus, was a carpenter. He was likely a bit older than she was, according to tradition. That was one of the things, is that uh, there was a gap in age between uh, the man and the woman. He may have been in his early 20s. Theirs was probably an arranged marriage. It may have been arranged many years before. We have no idea whether, what Mary thought or felt about Joseph, although, as we'll see next week, Joseph was a high-character guy and was likely a pretty good catch. That said, Mary didn't have, according to our standards, a really impressive resume, although she seemed to be content. She had a vision for her life that probably included marriage and children and raising those children for the rest of her life. That is, until this angel came and began to talk about an unexpected pregnancy. And before we talk about that part of the story, let me just explain the concept of engagement um, in the ancient world. Because in our day, engagement is a time of preparation before marriage. It requires a commitment, but it's a provisional period. If problems surface during an engagement, we can break it off with little or no consequences other than a little embarrassment. I have a friend who did break off an engagement a few weeks before a wedding, and it cost him some money and a little bit of embarrassment. But really, there was nothing legally binding about the engagement that he'd entered into. 
But in Mary's day, it was very different. The text said that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. And unlike our engagements, this one was legally binding. To break a pledge required divorce, and the only justification or grounds for divorce would come if there was adultery. Historically, adultery was punishable by stoning the offender, although that wasn't done very often. Um, they were all shamed if this was to have happened, as were their children, often for the rest of their lives. That's why we'll see as next week, as Matthew tells us, when Joseph discovered that Mary was pregnant, he decided to divorce her. Now, he backed off from that because of another angel visiting him. We'll talk more about that next week. So when the angel starts talking to Mary about this amazing vision for her life, we know that Mary would have to go through with this at great personal cost to her. If she said yes, she would do so wondering what Joseph would do. Perhaps he would break off the engagement, as he actually, we find out later, intended to. And that would leave her as an unwed mother. Maybe she also realized that even if Joseph went through with the wedding, she could kiss goodbye the hopes for the kind of celebration, the wedding day, that she maybe had anticipated since childhood. And we know that that pregnancy would have been considered scandalous. From that day on, people would talk, often behind their backs, but perhaps also straight to her face. So with that as background, let's go back to the story and look at some of the key moments to see what it might tell us from what Luke tells us about Mary and her life. The story begins when the angel appears to her and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So what does it mean? Well, the phrase highly favored has traditionally been translated full of grace. Grace, favor. Grace is God's blessing, goodness, kindness, and forgiveness. It's the word that the biblical writers use to describe salvation. It's undeserved, but it's nonetheless given. So it's a gift. So the angel's message to Mary of favor and grace tells us not only something about what Mary's experiencing, but it also tells us something about God. It demonstrates what the entire Bible talks about. That God, though not obligated to give us anything, gives us the greatest of gifts. So grace is at the center of the Christmas story. God shows Mary grace. The child she bore embodied grace. His message would be a message of grace. And his life would demonstrate grace. So did Mary immediately understand what God said and say, yippee, well, sounds really great. No, she didn't. Actually, in verse 29, it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. In other words, Mary's not yet sure she can accept what the angel's saying to her. We forget that. We seem to think that she just immediately embraced all of it, but she didn't. More than a decade ago, I, I became friends with a man who described himself as a skeptic, and even though he knew where I was coming from, he enjoyed um, having conversation about faith, but he took great pride in his skepticism. It actually amused me how hard he worked to find obscure questions to try to trip me up. And he, but he would often say things like, I'm just not the religious type. I can't believe anything on blind faith. And the first few times he said that, I kind of let it just go. Um, and then finally, I just couldn't help myself. I said to him, Marv, you think I believe all this on blind faith, don't you? But I don't. And he was kind of taken back. He admitted that I was, seemed like a fairly thoughtful guy and probably had some good reasons for believing what I did. And sometimes we read the Bible and assume that it's all so easy for these people in these stories, that this faith came, thing comes naturally for them. But the truth is that it doesn't. And from what we read here, it's clear that faith did not come easily for Mary as well. One of the things we know about the stories we have in the Bible is that they are often compressed 
They describe a real event. The author accurately reflects what takes place, but it's an abbreviated account. And that's why it's important to pay attention to what the author chooses to include in the story, because there are other things they may have excluded. Listen again to how Mary responds when the angel first makes an appearance. It says, verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The word wonder here means to reason, to deliberate, to debate, to thoroughly consider, to go back and forth while evaluating. In other words, it's to weigh the evidence and to try to add things up. And that's what Mary is doing. She's asking some hard questions. Maybe she said, did I really see an angel or was I hallucinating? What's going on here? What am I going to make about what I've just heard? What she's not doing is accepting everything immediately. Everything that the angel's saying. That's why after the angel goes on to give some details about what's to take place and says, you know, that's the part you will conceive and give birth to a son, that that part. She says, how can this be? She's still trying to get her head around it. Because we think of ourselves as modern and sophisticated, we have a tendency to look down on people in the ancient world. And sure, there's a lot they didn't know. They didn't have germ theory and all sorts of things that we have now. But they were not dummies. They were no more credulous or superstitious or ready to believe anything than we are. Mary's initial response is exactly what ours would be. She didn't believe what she was hearing. Now let me just say something quickly here about doubt. Um, Sometimes church people give off the vibe that doubt is bad. Stop asking questions, they might say, and just believe. Now for some of you, actually probably for many of you, that's just not that easy. You have lots of questions. Let me just say that that's okay. The Bible tells us that God is not afraid of questions. He certainly doesn't want blind faith. Faith, yes, but not blind faith. Now, some, like my old friend, celebrate skepticism and doubt. In fact, I think my friend's skepticism was a way of keeping God at an arm's length. And in the extreme, doubt is the sign of a closed mind. It isn't intellectually honest. But at the same time, doubt and questions can be very good. In fact, the only way that we will ever grow in our understanding and faith is to ask hard questions. So just as there's a kind of doubt that's used as an excuse for unbelief, there's also a kind of doubt that seeks answers that lead to faith. Mary wanted to understand. She was open to the truth. She didn't believe blindly. She needed to understand, and when she did, she came, she chose to believe. And even then, she didn't believe all at once. She responded thoughtfully, and her faith and understanding grew gradually. Now, at first, though, she needed some more information. She says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? By the way, critics of miracles like the virgin birth often claim that ancient people were more gullible than we are. But really, they're wrong. Mary's no more gullible than we are. And she said, really, that's impossible. Never seen that, never heard of it. No one else in that day would have believed it either. But then the angel gives her an explanation. He first tells her something that must have been hard to understand. In verse 35, it says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. How will this be? Well, the angel says it will be a divine act, something God and only God can do. And then the angel gives her a tangible example. He tells her that her cousin Elizabeth, who's considerably older than Mary, well past childbearing years, he says she's pregnant. So between the angel's explanation of what will happen in a divine act and this very human example of her cousin's pregnancy, Mary comes to understand and believe. And eventually, Mary accepts the news. Because in verse 38, she says this, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. 
Notice what she says and what she doesn't say. I am the Lord's servant is her way of saying, I don't completely understand, but you've given me enough that I can trust you for now. And that's something that we all need to do. Most of us would like to have it all figured out, to see the end from the beginning. But the life of faith is often a journey, and it means moving forward based on what we understand, even if we don't have full understanding of everything we might like to. And that's what Mary did. Eventually, she surrendered her will to God. She receives some incredible news, and she believes. Now, again, I want to go back to some of the details I pointed out earlier. If you think this was easy, this was not easy. Remember what she was signing up for by accepting God's plan for her life. Remember that it came at considerable cost. She's engaged. She's about to have a child before she and Joseph are married. From now on, people will end up adding things up. In her case, marriage came after the birth of Jesus. So people would say, you were married on X, but your child was born on Y, and they're just not going to be able to, to put it all together. And remember, she's growing up in a small town. Everybody knew everybody else's business. From then on, Mary and Joseph would be considered, at least by some, to be the parents of an illegitimate child. Most people would reach the conclusion that either they had sex before they were married or she was unfaithful to Joseph. There simply wasn't another option. And yet Mary showed up. She signed up even though she, she knew what she was getting into. From that point on, whatever came her way, she accepted. After reading Mary's story again this week, a question occurred to me, and that is, did Mary want to be Mary? You know, when we used to do Christmas pageants here, uh, we would have little uh, third, fourth, fifth grade girls fighting over who got to be Mary. I don't think Mary fought over that. Regardless, though, she surrendered to God's will for her life. In some ways, Mary's story is so unreal, it's hard for us to relate to. And I'm not saying that an angel isn't going to visit one of you this afternoon and give you some incredible news, but the likelihood is very close to zero. So, does that mean that this is just a heartwarming story and nothing more? I don't think so. Sure, parts of Mary's story are hard for us to relate to and probably well beyond our experience. But Mary was a real person, not a Disney princess. She was a real young woman with some very modern challenges. And the details of her life may be unique, but they also have some parallels with experiences and circumstances of our own. The key feature of Mary's story is the way God interrupts her just as she's getting started on a plan that she had, a vision that she had for her life. And sometimes God interrupts us as well. And sometimes those interruptions are things that happen that are challenges. Maybe it's a difficulty, uh, like an illness, or the end of a relationship, or unemployment, or a financial crisis. Or maybe it's something that God prompts you to do. Maybe something positive. You get a promotion, you have some kind of uh, event in your life that's very positive. But it could also be somebody that God's prompting you to reach out to. Maybe a dream he's asking you to pursue, or a conflict he's asking you to help resolve. Whatever it is, God is clearly interrupting you. He's moving you. He's opening your eyes to something that you had not thought of before. He's trying to get your attention, and you're not so sure that you want to stop and listen. When God interrupts, we often say, don't you know how complicated this will be for me? Or really, God, I don't have time for this. Or maybe we're comfortable. So what we think is, do you really want me to get out of this comfortable chair, whether literally or metaphorically, from what feels right at the moment and lean into this mess? So I don't know what that might be, what, whether God's asking you to give up or embrace something. Maybe it's to give up anger that you've been nursing towards someone who's hurt you. Or to end a friendship that you know is dragging you down. 
Or maybe it's to seek help with an addiction, whether it's to a substance or money or to porn. Or maybe it's to be willing to take an unpopular stand um, on an issue that everyone around you is actually on the other side of. The interruption could also be a risk that God wants you to take. And whatever it all is, sometimes God interrupts us. He asks us to consider things that we haven't thought of before, to rip up an old plan and start in on a new one. So what are we to do in those moments in our lives, like in Mary's, when God interrupts? Well, let me give you three suggestions, three thoughts from Mary's life that I think are worth us considering. And the first is to pursue God's favor. Let me just say that in the story, this favor that God uh, grants to Mary is a gift. It's It's grace. But it's also true that we can live our lives in such a way that God will choose to use us. We can live lives of humility and wisdom and grace, and he's more likely to choose us. I do believe that Mary was an unusual young woman, that she had an unusual relationship with God, that she had pursued him in ways that maybe other little girls her age had not. That's one of the reasons we call her blessed, because she was someone who pursued God. And we can do the same thing. We can also acknowledge our doubts, to take our questions and fears and doubts to God. And I believe he will do for us what he did for Mary. He'll bring us along and give us what we need to have the faith to trust him. We'll not have everything that we need, but he will give us what we need. And then finally, we can say yes. We can do what Mary did when she said, may your word to me be fulfilled. Because ultimately, we're going to have decisions to make in life about how we're going to respond to the promptings that God gives to us. To say yes to what God's asking us to do with our lives or to ignore those interruptions. Mary stands in a long line of people who've said yes to God. And we know that our yes will not be wasted. It may not be easy. In fact, saying yes to God may lead to places of pain and challenge. But if we place our trust in God, we know that his peace and presence will guide us along the way. So say yes to God. I mentioned up front the different ways that Mary's been viewed in the Christian tradition. But I think we can agree that Mary's experience, while it was extraordinary, the reason we all call her blessed is the way that she humbly submitted to God's will for her life. So maybe the most important thing we can do is to follow her example and do what she did, to take whatever God brings our way and say yes to him. Let's pray. Almighty and gracious God, Father of our Lord and Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who when the time came was born of the Blessed Virgin Mary. We give thanks for the example of Mary's faith, courage, and obedience. May she be for us a model of trust demonstrated in her response to you when she said, let it be with me according to your word. And as we honor her, may we even more honor the child she bore, the one who lived and died and rose again, that he might save us from our sins. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.